Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis and Goes From There. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis. Hey, hey, this is Sean with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Recently, Bobby and I talked with Greg Rupert of Reserve My Court, who has rebranded the technology as RMC to allow use of the platform for more than just tennis courts. Greg started RMC in 2004, solving a problem for his own neighborhood HOA, and eventually decided to share his genius with the world. Dominating the metro Atlanta area, RMC is also used in many states around the country, helping clubs and neighborhoods with amenities management. Have a listen and let us know what you think. Who is Greg Rupert? And you're known to us. We know you a little better than just the guy who does reserve my court. But that's in the tennis world in Atlanta. That's that's certainly how you're known. So if you could give us an introduction and say, who is Greg Rupert and what is reserve my court? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh so I'm Greg Rupert, and uh, I'm a lifetime, lifelong Georgia native. And I think I've heard you guys have conversations with some of your other guests and talk about how rare that is these days. But um, grew up in a small town called Monroe, Georgia, which is out towards the Athens area. Um, and uh, then went to school in Atlanta, Georgia Tech. Lived several different locations in Georgia, but predominantly around the Atlanta area. And... Uh, you know, really just after 2000, um, started getting into the tennis community in Atlanta a little bit. And uh, I had not really, didn't grow up playing tennis, um, but started latching onto Alta like a lot of people do in the Atlanta area if you're into sports and being active. And uh, started seeing the need just after that for a reservation, some way to reserve courts other than walking down there and seeing what was on the board and seeing if there was even a even a sign-up sheet even there anymore. Some kid probably came by and grabbed it and ran off with it, who knows. Um, so 2004 was really when we first started doing Reserve My Court. Um, and uh, and it's you know just grown since then. So really, you know, we, we obviously it's a business, we're in the business of making money, but it's also, we do feel like we're integrated and in, into the tennis community, the fabric here in Atlanta. And we, I mean, I'm on the phone every day with, you know, folks that are running clubs, either big clubs, or it could just be, you know, the, the volunteer at the HOA who's been charged with making sure their tennis programs run there. Um, so, so we've been doing that for a long time now and we've, it, it's grown and it's been a steady process of improvement with us and, and, and reaching out and getting new clients and new customers. So yeah, that's it. I mean, we've been at it now for whatever, whatever the math is, they're 18 years, which is just mind blowing for me. So. I think one of the fun parts of doing this, Sean, is I started to try to track, you know, after our phone call last night with Trevor and then thinking about the career at Netcord, I think Netcord originated probably 98, 99 is when I got involved with them because I remember it was really when we were trying to introduce Netcord to the senior tour uh, or Alta to the senior tour and Ned Cord had a meeting before Alta. And in that I saw Barb and Barton, I was like, wow, for somebody who is so technologically inefficient, I'm completely enamored by it. So, you know, we, Ned Cord was my introduction and it seems like right around that time frame is when 
tennis started to recognize the need for technology first through the, the team management. I remember me meeting a gentleman. I don't know if you ever knew John Reichel. He also tried to start uh, a reserve my court feature and we met with them through NetCourt and his rates were outrageous. And I was like, well, John, I wish you nothing but success because I believe tennis needs technology, but I got to be honest with you. I don't think what your, your price frame is going to work. I was working at White Columns Country Club at the time, big club. I said, they're not going to spend $4,000 a year on a reservation system. And he, you know, well, no, it's going to happen. I said, John, like I said, good luck to you. And then, Greg, <laughs> I don't know, when did we start communicating? It was right around, right in the beginning, because, again, I always am on the lookout, and I said, oh, now yeah. this is what we're talking about. I, I think it was pretty early on. I know, and, of course, I don't, you weren't at Windermere, I think, at that time. Um, I believe Correct. Jim Harp was uh, over there at that time. And so Windermere was one of our very first customers. I mean, I think we had one small HOA that literally was the very first, um, and uh, like in the Lawrenceville area. And then you got, and then Windermere joined up and I was like, wow, okay, we wish went from nobody to one of the bigger clubs in the whole city yeah. uh, joining up. <clears throat> but of course, in that process is really pretty indicative of what's happened throughout our history where a big community or a big club signs up in an area, of course, they're hosting lots of players coming in all the time for Alta matches, USTA matches, tournaments, you name it. And they're seeing the signs on the courts, you know, reserve my court. And they're asking questions. What is that? How does that work? And that word of mouth is what, you know, helps spread it, spread us around. And so, you know, you could just see that happen. These little pockets, this club would pop in and then around that club, we'd start seeing other communities sign up. And of course, that's happened in Atlanta, but it's also happened outside of Atlanta, especially I would say in the last five or six years, you know, we would get a club in, say, the Houston area, and then you'd see it spread around Houston or you'd see it. Uh, and, it and it's all over. Um, I mean, I, I think the oddest example, we have <clears throat> probably about a half a dozen clubs outside of the U.S. and a couple of them in Ireland. You know, one of them signed up and then a year later, the one next door signed up, you know, so. Um, so it's kind of an interesting process. I think another one of the similarities that we're noticing is the grind associated with getting anything, especially technologically, <clears throat> going in tennis. It's not like we can turn to Net News. Net News is a great information source, but everybody looks for that magic pill. And the magic pill seems to be whether it be UT2, Trevor with his events, door to door. A lot of grinding, a lot of word of mouth is the way your your message spreads. Oh yeah, I mean, I tell people these stories, and <clears throat> they they hard. They, sometimes they don't believe it, but the way we started out when I first started this, I lived um, in the Marietta area, um, and I would on weekends I would go around. Uh, I would I get out my and this you know it was at the very beginning of even Google Maps a little bit, but I would get out that I found I would I went in and. Uh, I, I found some ways of finding uh, some addresses for these clubs and these communities. I pinned them on my maps and I would drive around and post flyers on their bulletin board right next to their schedule, you know, right next to their sign-up schedule uh, with our information on it. And that along with getting clubs signed up and putting our signs on the courts, it literally, it was hundred percent word of mouth. I mean, occasionally I would, you know, have a conversation with someone directly, but most of the time it was just feet on the ground, putting out flyers, and, uh, and getting it going. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, now we don't do that anymore. Uh, I mean, we have done that and we have done waves and 
promotions and similar things like that. But now it's really just, you know, it's, it's word of mouth from our existing customer base. And I mean, you can't really have any better advertisement than people saying, Hey, this, the system works great for us. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely the, the starting out of a business like that is, it's, it's not that glamorous. <laughs> so what made you, what was the impetus? What was the stimulus to say, okay, other than obviously you look in and say, well, there's a need, but you yeah. went above and beyond. So what brings someone to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make this leap. Yeah. The, I, I would say the very first impetus was the need for it for myself. I, you know, so I was starting to play tennis. Uh, I lived uh, in a, in a neighborhood that had two courts, um, and they were really just about a 150 foot walk from my house. I couldn't see the courts from my house though. And, and, you know, we were, I was just starting to play tennis and a buddy of mine would play some pick up time and different things. And it was like, well, we got to, somebody's got to walk down there and look at this sign up sheet every time. And it was just a pain. And I was developing, I wasn't, um, my background is really not in computer science. I, I'm a mechanical engineer, uh, but I had done in my mechanical engineering world, I had done a little bit of com computer programming, a little bit of website building. So I, was, so I volunteered to build a website for our community. This was before the big um, portals that are available now were, you know, were out there. And so I built a website for our community. I thought, hey, you know, I bet, I bet we could figure out a way to, to manage the courts on that website. And so I, that the very first version of this was of a way to make reservations on our community courts within the website that I built for our community. And then I thought, you know, I, that seems like something other people would really want. Uh, and so then I spent about, you know, a year and a half or so with just side time, time that I had, you know, outside of my day job, building the very first version of Reserve My Court. And it's funny, I, I mean, it, it, it worked and it sold and grew and all that. But I, I think with anybody's technology, they look back on it and kind of chuckle a bit about how some of it was kind of band-aided together and <laughs> we used to call it paper duct tape clips and bailing it, wire yeah. behind the scenes, making paper it work. Paper clips at Netcord, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, now, you know, it, you know, it's interesting, you know, COVID was a, just a horrible thing that's happened in the last couple of years for a lot of people, you know, for the tennis world and for Reserve My Court, and it was a it was kind of a boon a little bit. I mean, I think a lot, there was a lot of growth in tennis, people getting out because they were cooped up and had nothing else to do. And this was a safe way to still get some exercise and meet people. Uh, and as a result, Reserve My Court grew significantly during that time. And we also, <clears throat> before it even started, we had made the decision to do a complete rebuild and uh, invest in putting the stuff into the, you know, I would say a world-class environment hosted by Amazon Web Services and just really getting ourselves up into the modern age. And boy, we got lucky with the timing. We did that. We started that process at a time when COVID hit. And honestly, I had a significant amount of free time to work on that. Um, and so that worked out well for us. Um, so with, you know, with COVID happening, there was a significant growth, but also I'll tell you the other thing, and I'm sure you guys are seeing this, pickleball is just exploding. I can't even, it's hard to even uh, relate how fast I see it growing. And every, I would say every week, we're getting multiple sites saying, hey, we're adding pickleball. We're, we're either restriping our existing courts or we're adding actual physical pickleball courts. And because we handle things by, the courts, you know, um, you know, our fee structure is based on the number of courts you have. 
that's also been a pretty big boon for us as well. I mean, these these extra courts that people are adding, these extra amenities to make reservations on, it, it's amazing. It's it's exploding. That's an interesting thought because in that case, do you do you get to kind of double up? So you look at I've got two tennis courts. I just striped them for pickleball courts. Does that mean I'm going to have two tennis courts in my reservation system at reserve my court, and I'm going to have two pickleball courts? So now I'm paying for four, so you can reserve them <laughs> separately. Like no. I think that'd be a that'd be a bad way to do it. If not I not exactly, no, user. it's not quite like that. Um, it's it, we what way we charge is by the reservable amenity. So if it's something you're taking reservations for in our system, we're charging you for. It. Now we cap out if you have six or more amenities. So once you get to scale, we don't keep, we can't, man, we can't keep charging for every single amenity. If you're running a big facility with 12 court, nobody would pay that. So we cap once you get to the six. Um, but so like what you're describing where a club has a single, they, let's say they have a single tennis court uh, with a single pickleball stripe on top of it. That's still really one thing. You can only use it as one thing, right? I mean, you may be playing pickleball on it, you may be playing tennis and I advise we have some clubs that will go in and set it up just like you described that I said, you know, don't do that because you're, you're going to pay double. That's don't do that. Um, but now if you have a single court with two sets of pickleball courts, you know, two pickleball courts on top of a single tennis court. And you want to take reservations for all three of those things sort of into, I'll say independently, they're linked. Then, yeah, I mean, in that case, that's three things you're reserving um, And our newer system now handles that, you know, pretty elegantly. If you reserve one pickleball court, it prevents you from reserving the tennis court. If you reserve the tennis court, it keeps you from reserving both pickleball courts. Um, and so, so yeah, to some degree, it, it is an added component to some sites, but some clubs it's not. It depends on how they've set it up. Sean, I got to go back a minute. I can't let Greg get off the hook. And we, we've had this <laughs> friendly argument on numerous occasions. Greg cannot talk about pricing because I've yelled at him over the years that he is way too cheap, <laughs> that the service he provides, it, it, he deserves more than what he has historically asked for. And, uh, you know, it, it's a testament to him that he does it. And it shows that it was about passions first and then say, okay, I, I still got to keep the player in mind. But, uh, you know, Greg and I have gone back and forth on this. And even with the improvements, he's barely raised his rates. So, yeah, no, I, and I, well, I appreciate that. And of course, I, I hope, you know, potential customers out there hear that and say, oh, okay, well, this guy's, you know, um, trying to keep his prices reasonable. I, look, I, there is no, I think there's no perfect answer for what the right price is. I mean, we're, we're not, uh, I'm not so altruistic that I wouldn't want to charge what we can make for it if we, if we really could make more. Um, I, I, I guess, I, you know, I always look at the feature set and say, what's this worth? Um, and, you know, we're, we, we, we serve a broad array of user, you know, club types. I mean, we've got the large, you know, 20 court type clubs that have, you know, numerous on-site staff. And, and that's a completely different animal almost than a lot of our user, our customer base, which is an HOA environment where there's two courts or four courts, maybe um, there's no staff, there's, there's no on-site pro shop, there's just a volunteer who's on the HOA board as the tennis rep. Um, and, you know, so, so that club, you know, they're going to have a, a tolerance for, for how much they're willing to pay every year for this. I get that. Um, there are competing course, you know, tools out there just like ours. And there's also, and honestly, it's, I would say it's the biggest risk in our business, these 
portals that the, the management companies bring to the table, which allow the homeowner association to see the minutes from the, the board meetings, to pay their man, their or their uh, annual dues, to uh, you know, to put in an application to, you know, change the color of their house, whatever, all their all their their guidance documents, everything to do with that neighborhood, they'll typically have a reservation solution in there as well. Now, what we've heard uh, through the grapevine from clubs that have used both and different things is, yeah, they have them. They're just not that sophisticated. They can't handle the complexities of the things we want to do with our rules and limiting reservations by type. And I mean, all this kind of things that clubs get into for trying to manage their courts effectively. Um, it's just not built for that because it doesn't come from this world. You know, we, this world here where we know, you know, you might have to have a level called captain where the captain can reserve their schedule well in advance versus just a regular user who's reserving ad hoc, you know, T2 matches or whatever. These reservation systems don't really understand all that. Um, but anyway, regardless, because of those competing angles and the cost that they charge, and it's already, if there's some cases, it's free for them because they've already got this portal. We, we're conscious of what we're charging. We want it to, to be in line with the value and we think we're close. I mean, I, I agree that maybe we could be a little higher. We did just bump our prices a little bit like everybody else in the world on everything this year. Um, so, um, you know, as we, I, what we've also said too, is as we add features and as we add better service, then we'll consider maybe it's time for an upgrade on the pricing. So this summer we've told folks we're working hard to get our app built up a little better, added features, and we are working on that. And I mean, you know, perhaps when that comes out, if it's if it's very slick and does a lot of things that people really love, then maybe we'll we'll look at a pricing again. Well, the other fun part about what we try to do is focus predominantly on Atlanta. So I'm going to go back again. What I love is the origin story because it so mimics Netcord. You know, Barb and Bart got together and they decided to create a team management system for their teams. And right. through that, Netcord came to being. Uh, so that, it, I love the consistency. And the other point you just brought up, consistent with Atlanta, and I think this bodes well for the success and the future success of Reserve My Court, is Tennis Point, the, the team management service, went through a kind of similar situation when Alta, brought the team management within the, the you know the ecosystem of alta yeah. and yet there was so little attrition from tennis point because people talk to the what you're talking about say look it does what we want it to do we've been with it a long time there is a loyalty factor mm -hmm. we're going to stay with it and, and i do believe you'll you'll see a lot of the same with reserve my court if and when that ever happens so it bodes well for the atlanta market yeah no i appreciate that i we you know, it's funny that team management uh, issue. I had uh, we had considered adding some of those capabilities inside our system as well. We, you think about it, we for a club, we already have all their user information, and you know, it, it seemed like it'd be very easy to say, okay, this guy's a captain. Hey, go build your roster out of your members and maybe some outside members, whatever. We had thought about doing some of that, and then all to announce what they were doing, and we just said, look, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people already doing that and doing it very well. I use those tools you're talking about as well. Um, just, you know, so we, we've been crazy uh, hyper-focused on making sure we, 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 we want to add new features and we want to add new capabilities, but at the same time, we want to make sure that what we're, our core function, what we really are trying to do, we do all in a very, you know, 
in a great way. And if we're not doing it in a great way, if we have gaps there, then why should I be wasting time on developing new things when I should be making this the best it can be? And that's, so we've, we've always been that way from the beginning, which is why we've been very slow to add new things over the years. It's, it's, it's really about identifying any gaps we have in the service that we're trying to offer already and make sure we're making everybody super happy with that and keep the main thing the main yeah. thing yeah exactly and that being said i mean we i think we're real close to that i mean we know there's some improvements and some upgrades and some things we want to do on the mobile app but the site itself you know we're we're pretty close to this thing getting optimized now after 18 years of it. So. Well, we always laugh that we, when we talk to people about how Atlanta is a very unique market in that most people think of a tennis club. And as you've already said, it is so HOA driven that it really doesn't. It, and even at the big clubs, the Atlanta Athletic Clubs, the Atlanta Country Club, they usually use whatever golf is using because tennis is an amenity. It doesn't, you know, if, it, if tennis makes any money, they're excited because really it's the membership dues that are paying it. What do you see with like with the Houston area, when you go to someplace else, do you see more likely clubs or neighborhoods? How does it play out in other places? Yeah, it's definitely more the club environment for sure. Um, you know, I would say our second biggest area is sort of, uh, that South Florida area. And there it's, I mean, some of these are communities, uh, you know, so, um, and so it's a mix. It's just, well, I think the difference is this. You, you have the communities there. You have the club environments there. But those communities are typically very large scale communities uh, with a bunch of courts. So they're almost like a, a tip, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. There, there's a fine line between this club community concept, right? I mean, there's obviously clubs that are literally have nothing, no association with a home, with a, with a HOA environment or with a, or with homes, but even in Atlanta, a lot of the clubs are just really large communities, right? And they just have enough scale to have a full-scale tennis program there. And in um, Florida, you'll have a lot more like Bobby is at Windermere, where there's yes. a neighborhood with a full-time tennis program. Yeah. Well, in my neighborhood, there's just a couple of courts, a pickleball court, and we live here, but there isn't a dedicated program there's not a dedicated pro in Florida. You have a lot more of that because you're going to have those clay courts that need maintenance. So you might end up with a two court facility that has a pro that wants to use your pro console where you can do more than just court reservation. You can actually like a club automation mm -hmm. type of type of system, be able to, I don't know if club automation is a generic term or if somebody actually is a business called club automation. No, but, there is a club automation business. Okay. So I need to find a generic term to use. So I'm not promoting <laughs> some, something else. Yes. Uh, you know, like, like club, club programming, software that, you, that can help that one guy. I got a friend I played college tennis with. He's down there running a small little neighborhood and would love that pro console that you offer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, and that definitely is more of what you see in these uh, outside of the Atlanta area. Um, and yeah, so for those areas, Houston, South Florida, Southern California, I mean, all, all the places that you think of as being big tennis areas. But that being said, I mean, I tell you, what's interesting is we you know, we have grown out, we purposefully, when we rebuilt the site <clears throat> and the service, we kind of almost, you know, rebranded from the word reserved by court to RMC. And some of the thinking there was we wanted to make sure people understood that we didn't just do tennis courts. You know, we really handle any kind of 
in that, and we also started using the language instead of saying court, we call it an amenity. And the reason is that it could be anything. It, it really could be. And so when you look through our database now, yeah, it's predominantly tennis courts, but you've got basketball, you've got other sports courts, first of all, so basketball, pickleball, croquet, we've got clubs that do croquet pitches, uh, swim lanes, and then there's stuff that have nothing to do with that, like pavilions, clubhouses, um, you name it. So especially within our HOA environment, you know, we've, we've tried to promote to them, hey, you know, you're, you're using this service for your two tennis courts. How about the pavilion that's sitting right next to it that you also now, you know, Sally has to take phone calls from a neighbor to say, hey, we want this for a birthday party. Just, just put it in our system and we'll, we'll handle it. And do um, I know that I can use reserve my court to also reserve my pool? And you guys did a good job of, of rebranding to just say, hey, we're just RMC right now. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how we started. Like if it was Sean Boyce Enterprises in the beginning, right now it's it's tennis for children. Like let's let's take about what it what it could be, not necessarily yes. taking away our main core product, which is space reservation. When you when you make that more generic, it scales itself. That's right. And, and it has. We, we've grown a lot in that area. Um, for sure. I mean, I haven't gone through to look to see what the percentages are, but we do definitely have a significant number of reservable amenities in our system now that are, that are not tennis courts. And uh, I mean, tennis is always going to be the core of what we do. And that's always the driver. I mean, we're always the feature sets that we build and the, the way you can construct rules, custom rules for your club in terms of how reservations can be made and all that stuff. That's almost always going to be driven by that tennis environment. Um, but that being said, uh, there's no reason not to be able to reserve other things in there as well. So, so what have you done at RMC to address being an industry that inherently has been technologically adverse <laughs> and, and, and approach it? Yeah, well, it's a good question. I, I, you know, early on, it was definitely uh, swimming upstream for sure. I mean, we, uh, you know, we would talk to a, a pro running a club. This idea of putting everything online, there was a lack, you know, they felt like they were losing control a little bit, you know, you know, hey, we like people being able to call the front desk and, and us look at the schedule and make sure that we know what's going on. And we still run into that a little bit where folks are a little bit hesitant to give control, like allow people to just go see the schedule and just make their own reservations. For some people, that makes them very uncomfortable. Um, but I, I would say that I have seen a shift, you know, we started this a long time ago and we're starting to get into the paper. Some of those folks are, are aging out, let's say, and there's a newer wave of people moving in. Um, and there's much more comfortable with technology. In fact, they, they demand it. They, they, they're puzzled when they have to do something in an antiquated way. Um, and it just drives them crazy. Um, so even in our system where we've maybe had, you know, been a little slow in getting something rolled out, a feature or something, and, and people say, it, you know, they'll say, it's 2020, why am I having to do it this way? So, so it, it, you know, it, early on, we had to work hard to overcome some of those uh, hangups and old school mentality, I would say, but I, I feel like that's definitely changing a lot. And, uh, and there's just an aging out of, I think, people maybe our age. <laughs> it's true, on all of us. Especially your age, Bobby, right now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what we say. Old, you know, 50 plus tennis pros are becoming dinosaurs. That The industry is having a hard time replacing. I shouldn't say dinosaurs, unfortunately, because they still dominate the industry. 
and they have a tendency to coach to their level of play and the level of play is dramatically different. And, and I know we're, we're running out of time. We don't want to keep you too long, but you, you keep giving me great more questions and I want to go after first. And you can do this quickly is what is in the water at Georgia tech? Because I think three third court reservation system, uh, that of Georgia tech, you know, the three of them all in the Atlanta area, Okay. That uh, got into corporate, nobody to the levels that you've accomplished, but still, what is, what goes on at Georgia Tech? Well, I mean, I, I don't, it's hard to say what goes on there these days. My, my nephew who has helped me at times with the site is, was a computer science guy at Georgia Tech and has graduated from there now and, and working on his own accord. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I will say that at least the culture used to be, and probably the folks you're running into at least experienced this culture. And I think it's probably still there is, um, I mean, it's like a culture of a, it's a beat down culture. Like it's just, the school just tries to beat you down um, until you toughen up to make it out, you know? And that's, and if you talk to those Georgia Tech guys, they, and they talk to each other, they never say, when did you graduate? They say, when did you get out? I mean, that's literally, <laughs> nobody says, when did you graduate? So when did you get out? I mean, it's like being in prison, right? right. Like, when did you get out? No. So I don't know. It's just, I mean, I, I have always said, I think there are probably some schools that may have better professors and, they may teach better. I, I don't know. I didn't have that experience, but, you know, but as far as just toughening you up and, you know, putting you out there on your own, or it's like, you, you're going to have to survive on your own or you're not going to make it. That, that's the biggest thing I think you get out of the, the environment down there. So, and I hope that's still the case. I mean, I, I know they've, you know, it used to be when I was a freshman, uh, the, the intro, you know, when you went to uh, orientation, they gave the speech about look to your left, look to your right. And, only one of you is going to be here when it's done. I don't. I think they graduated at a higher rate now. They've been kind of pushed into that. At that time, they had the lowest graduation rate of any public school in the country. Wow. So I, they, it, it was a, it was pretty hardcore. <laughs> well, I could, I can definitely agree because that's when you talk to the athletic department. One of the things they always say is the difficulty of compliance. That the the standards between the student athlete. And the normal popular student population is the one of the closest. I think it's Georgia Tech and Notre Dame above mm -hmm. Ivy League schools. So right. that that speaks volumes to what you're just saying there. And let me rest assure everybody listening that TCU did not have those problems. I think we were really early on trying to put the four year plan into, you know, make it obsolete. We stayed as long as we could. So yeah. I just want to be clear there. And then secondly, real quick about again, the, the technology you started, it was computer-based. It was the dawn of the internet. Now we're going, everything is phone-based and we're yes. gravitating. And like you said, you have a generation that doesn't release their phone and you've had to keep up with what you, what have you done and how do you address that? Yeah, that's a, that has really been our, our bane, I would say, because, you know, the one thing about technology that is kind of a, you know, it's just the nature of the beast is it constantly changes. And so you have to, can't just sit around with what you got it because, three years later, it'll look, it won't look, it won't work or it won't look right at all. So yeah, for sure. When we first started there, there was no smartphone really, or there, it was just coming around a little bit later. Um, and uh, so, you know, the first thing was just trying to make the sites, the, the website look good on the phone. And a lot of that, now that responsive technology is stuff we built into the new site, which is one of the major upgrades. Our old site really was never built with a phone and the idea of you looking at it on a phone, it was never a thought. The new site, of course, that is all integrated in. And then just the mobile apps, too. We've always 
you know, the website has always come first and the mobile app behind it. And, and of course, to your point, these days, I mean, a lot of people tell us we don't, we're not, we're not ever using a computer to look at this. Uh, so we, we find about half of our reservations are going through the mobile app and about half through the website. And so that's why we're, we're kind of prioritizing, making sure that mobile app is a focus for us moving forward because, you know, I would imagine that number will continue to shift. And, in the, you know, two years from now, if we have this conversation, I bet it'll be 80-20. It'll be 80% mobile and 20%, you know, through a PC. So, uh, so we're, we are just continuing to focus on that. We know it's a priority. Well, we appreciate it. Greg, appreciate your time. Sean gets to ask you one more question that we try to give all of our guests to 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 shape the world. So, Sean, have yeah. at it. It's it's my favorite question, which is the the king of tennis. So if if Greg Rupert was the king of tennis, is there anything you would change? So whether you view it as Atlanta specific or for the entire world, the universe, is there something that you would change about tennis as king of tennis yourself? Well, Sean, as you get to know me more, you're going to find out I, I, my my scope is bigger than just tennis. I'd like I'd be the king of more than tennis, but um, but I will broaden it a little bit. And uh, and th and this is a topic, by the way, guys, you could have hour long conversations with me about and and bring in other people. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on this. But <clears throat> I, I I just really as a as a parent who who's just got two kids getting out of the house now, who've gone through the youth sports world and coaching i've coached a lot not tennis uh i'm not a tennis coach but baseball and these kinds of things um i have a real issue with our sports culture right now um i love sports grew up playing sports i think youth sports are awesome they do teach so many good things but unfortunately you know it's gotten so monetized um and and i don't know and i really can't say that this is specific to tennis because my kids really never got heavily involved in tennis as kids but a lot of other sports um you know i just see parents asking things of their kids they shouldn't be asking of them to do um huge amounts of time spent on a single sport in this what seems to me this illogical goal of getting a, a scholarship and you know we live we're blessed to live in a state like georgia where if you have just reasonably good grades in high school you can get the Hope Scholarship. You have really good grades. You can get the Zelle. You can go to school in the state of Georgia, in any state school, Georgia Tech, University of Georgia, West Georgia, all these schools, all great schools are almost free if you just focus on school. I mean, and, and so at the same time, our parents are, ah, oh, you know, we're working hard to get our kid into this, you know, special program. And, ah, you know, this, these kids burn out. They, how many of them ever really make it make a living off of that sport I mean I don't know it just seems like we've taken the fun out of it we've taken the things that we're trying to teach out of it you know the good sportsmanship and being a good teammate and having fun and all those things we've just taken it away we've monetized it we charge for it we and we focus so heavily on getting our kid this scholarship that they could get easily if they just focused on something that's actually going to help them more as an adult. So I, I don't know, I'd, I'd love to hear you. And I know, Sean, I know you're in the, you know, the teaching kids and I here, I don't want to just be confused. I think my coaching was one of the best things I ever did. I loved coaching kids. There's value, so much value in that for kids. I just, and, and so I don't know the solution. I just know that I see it 
getting ugly. I, and I, I, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Well, we, as you said, that is a whole different conversation. And boy, oh boy, I mean, because you got the right. My father, just real quick, my father grew up when I was a kid, ran a Little League and did it volunteer. 800 child Little League, you know, everything was supplied. You paid it. All right, this is a long time ago, a $20 registration fee. You didn't buy your bats. You didn't buy your balls. You had to come with a glove and your cleats. Everything else was supplied to you. And he did it for probably through the span of mine and my brother's eight years younger. So he stayed involved with it. So maybe he did it for 15 years. The gentleman who took over from him privatized it, made it a family run business and took a salary for the same things my father did 15 years for free, where essentially I got a, a new pair of cleats every year from the sporting goods store because my bro father brought them so, you know, so much business. So I'm with you. It is a, a different conversation, especially within tennis as well where you're not even allowed to cheer as a parent going to a USTA match, you're not allowed to cheer. You're not allowed to offer encouragement. And, you know, I, I was a baseball player and I lived for the, the, the crowd screaming. So to not to have that in tennis was a tough adjustment. There's no question about it. The whole culture was so much difficult for me to get adjusted to. So amen to that. I, I'm a, I completely agree with you. And we, we get a lot of that where we get the, and, and I appreciate that that answer. One of the things we're going to start doing, we'll have to do this, Bobby, for 2023, which is we'll, we'll, we'll remind everybody, hey, we're going to give you the king of, king of tennis question, but we also are looking for a solution. Because what we yeah. get a lot is we, we get this same thing. They say, well, I'd change this, but I have no idea how. We want to make it more accessible. I have no idea how. We want to make it more affordable. We have no idea how. And there are a lot of things that we want to change about the industry or the culture. And as you say, well, it comes down to the parents, but we have no idea how. So one of the things we're trying to do with this conversation is hopefully if we have enough of this conversation, we will eventually find some answers and figure out how. And if we can offer that, especially just in Atlanta, we stick with the culture that we know. We know it here. We can hopefully make some changes without saying we have to change the whole world. And, you know, we, we don't know what it's like in Europe or Asia. Like, let's stick with what we know and we'll see if we can find some answers here. Well, Greg, I really appreciate your time. And this has been a lot of fun. We will definitely follow up because I know we're going to try to do some business together with Go Tennis and with Reserve My Court. And I know Bobby's still talking with you. I think you guys are still talking about Windermere and uh and some of that there so i again i appreciate your time and we will follow up we'll have to do at least every year with somebody like you and you're welcome to come on more often than that but a year from now say okay a year ago you said now we need an answer so you got you got 365 days to come up with an answer or at least one potential solution all and right we'll, uh, we'll nah, do it. if you can come up with it sooner we'll bring you back sooner okay all right thanks thanks sean and bobby appreciate it Well, there you have it. We want to thank Rejuvenate for use of the studio. Be sure to check out rejuvenate.com if you're interested to improve your fitness, health, and wellness, and not interested in a commute to the gym. Check out our other episodes at atlantatennispodcast.com. Also, find us on social media and let us know what you think about our conversation. Mostly, click that follow button. Whether you listen to every episode or just want to listen periodically, you can follow us in your podcast app which helps us keep the show going. And with that, we're out. See you next time.